welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I have been tracking all the pro days, the pro days, I guess there was a pro day this week involving USC wide receiver Drake London uh, that Washington had a presence at, but I really meant I was tracking the various top 30 visits, private workouts, heading into the NFL draft. We're going to run through some of that. We'll talk about Drake London. We'll talk about kind of where we stand here with Dan Snyder as we're, it's been several days since we've heard anything. And we'll talk plenty about NFL draft prospects, the Carson Wentz fit and more with our special guest today, Greg Cosell from NFL Films, NFL Matchup Show on ESPN, uh, a, a returning guest. Always excited to have Greg on. We went in great depth about a bunch of the different players who could be in play at number 11, including, of course, uh, Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, uh, the, the various wide receivers. We talked about Devin linebacker Devin Lloyd and a bunch more quarterbacks, all that good stuff. And I asked, what did he think of the Carson Wentz move and how can Washington best help him out? So we'll get to all of that and more with, again, our our guest Greg Cosell here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can subscribe to on iTunes or Spotify, or if you subscribe to The Athletic, you get it on the app there as well. Uh, Definitely appreciate everybody, of course, checking out the podcast. If you have a second on iTunes to drop a rating and a review, I promise you that does help a bunch. A lot to get to here before we get to Greg. Uh, I have been doing a lot of talking this week. I was on the local radio here at 106.7 The Fan, and I did a stint during the day on the Team 980. So I feel like I've talked so, uh, uh, so much this week. That I'm almost like trying to remember what have I not said here. So hopefully I'm not repeating myself too, too much. So I thought I would go through a couple couple notes here about this team. Um, obviously, the draft is April 28th. It is, I'm talking to you guys on April 17th, Sunday afternoon. And at this point, again, it's still been pretty quiet on the free agency front. It really looks like Washington won't be doing too much until, or really anything, <laughs> until after the draft, which... Is something that Ron Rivera told us about at pro at the uh, owners meeting, but nonetheless, it is playing out that way. Um, the draft is important always, but th- th- it is even maybe not more so now. But it's going to be interesting because they still have a bunch of holes, particularly from depth perspectives. What are they going to do? It is a little bit harder, I think, to project to project what they may do, especially because we've discussed before this wild top ten. Uh, that said. That's why these pro days are interesting to take a look at. Now, I don't have all the all the op all the um, I keep saying pro days. I mean the 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 top thirty visits at um, Ashburn, where they're allowed to bring it up to thirty players. That's not including the local workout, which we'll get to in a second. At this point, what's what I've either heard, confirmed, or has been reported elsewhere is about half the list. And from what I have, it's pretty much running backs, wide receivers, offensive line, secondary. There really hasn't been not much else, but again, I only have half of the list, so we could be missing a few things. Um, by now, you've heard a bunch of these names, but notable this week that Drake London, one of the players we believe to be in play for Washington at 11, is going to come in for a visit this week. Now, Washington did go out to his pro day on Friday. It was delayed uh, from the original date because uh, Drake London has been dealing with a little bit of a hamstring issue, I believe. This is after, of course, he had an ankle injury that ended his season prematurely, but not before he you know, really impressed everybody uh, with just a monster statistical season. He's a 6'4", power forward type of receiver who played a lot in the slot earlier in his career, moved outside to the X last year and clearly would give Washington a really impressive um, presence on the outside to go with Terry McLaurin or in the slot if they wanted to use him there. Either way, a big target. And, you know, when you think about Carson Wentz, he is throw, he throws a ton at two tight ends. Now, obviously, um, Drake London, not a tight end, but a big body. And that's typically what, what you get out of a tight end. So I think that's a notable 
uh, deal there for sure. Now, they already have Cam Sims, so they do have that type of player. You've heard me say before, I, I just not only would I not look, necessarily look to invest a lot more in receiver on top of what they already have, knowing they're going to pay Terry McLaurin here, presumably. <laughs> um, that That's not a rumor. I just mean, you know, until it's done, it's done. But we think they're going to pay Terry McLaurin. And they brought back Cam Sims. They still believe in De'Ami Brown. So I'm not convinced that they need, that they will go with the receiver route at 11. However, the board kind of shakes out that way. And we've talked before about Ron Rivera's visits to actual pro days have been notable in the past. And this year he went to Ohio State, which of course has Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. He went to Cincinnati, which was the day after. So I don't, after Ohio State, so I don't necessarily know that who exactly he went to see there, but they have, among others, wide receiver and Alec Pierce, who's an interesting day two guy who tested nicely uh, during the pre-draft uh, workouts and stuff. Not to mention Cincinnati has a bunch of other players, including cornerback Sauce Gardner, but the assumption is he'll be gone inside the top 10. He was, though, expected to go to USC, but when the change in uh, dates happened, he didn't go back for the for the redo, but they're bringing him in. So I'm going to sort of count that as essentially going to the pro day. So that's notable again, based on his history. So it looks like they are taking a serious look at receiver, but yet again, other variables, you know, make me think that they may not actually make that move. And of course it all depends on who's available on the board is Garrett Wilson or are Garrett Wilson and Drake London there. And if they, if they're not, does that mean, you know, a guy like Kyle Hamilton is there, or what if one of them is there and Kyle Hamilton slips, or could be somebody else in the top ten that they like? We'll see. But there's reasons to think receivers in play. There's also reasons that I would kind of want to lean towards to say that they wouldn't go receiver, especially the factor. As I've said many times, I don't think they necessarily need another receiver. I think they need another offensive playmaker, whether that's a receiver, a running back, or a tight end. I think they need one of those players. They have been bringing in a bunch of uh, running backs who are you know projected to go in uh, the second round. We'll keep that uh, in mind. I will add to the list, though, of, of workouts. We already know about Drake London coming in and Chris Olave. They met with John Mechie. I'm told they will be doing a Zoom with Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks. To be clear, Traylon Burks has been a well-traveled player in this pre-draft cycle, and he just, from what I gather, it was just easier to sort of work out the Zoom than it was to sort of get everybody's schedule on the same page, so they're going to do that. He doesn't seem to be in play for 11, based on projections. He's more of a mid-to-late round, second round, uh, first round pick, but an interesting player nonetheless, and not surprising that they would want to take a look. You never know about a possible trade down, or maybe they like him a lot more than other people think. So, uh, or that others do. So Traylon Burks to be in the mix. Um, I mentioned running backs. Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller. These top 30 visits have already been revealed. Uh, all those guys are projected in the second round. Another name to add to the running back list, Tyrion Davis-Price from LSU. Uh, met with Washington. Now he's more of a day two, day three guy. I say day two, you know, a lot of projections have him sort of in the fourth, fifth round range. I think he could possibly sneak into day two, but he's more of that guy, a well-rounded player. And, you know, we've discussed this before. It's not that the, the reason why they may not need to go with a receiver is I think they want to get Antonio Gibson more involved in the passing game. He's obviously very good in space. And he's still you know, a work in progress when it comes to finding holes in the running game. So adding another running back to be able to move him a little bit more outside, I, I think is something that would make a lot of sense. But in any event, uh, Tyran Davis-Price, another running back who's come in. Beyond that, like I said, a lot of, a lot of offensive linemen. Uh, the other day I reported that they had in Kyir Elam from Florida, a cornerback. This is on top of Daxton Hill. Uh, who's you know one of these sort of hybrid defensive backs? Also, Jaquan Brister, Brisker from Penn State is another guy. Um, they did have a local pro day the other day, which doesn't count towards the thirty visits. They're just in for meetings and and the medicals, not for actual workouts. Most notable names here: uh, Boston College offensive uh, lineman Zion Johnson. He's been projected to go in the first round, somewhere in the twenties, perhaps maybe to Dallas at twenty four, uh, and obviously Washington 
could use another guard. Again, don't really think he's in play at 11, but, uh, you know, he's definitely got a lot of fans out there for sure. Also, uh, Maryland safety Nick Cross among those who stopped by to meet with Washington uh, the other day. By the way, we, we haven't really, we, we've discussed it, but we haven't really kind of focused on too much about where Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew kind of landed throughout this um, process. Now, I may, I'm sure I may have missed something and we don't, I, I, if it's not reported when they're in some far off place, I may not know about it unless I've heard about it on my own. But from what I kind of gathered, we they've, they have attended, at least one of them has attended LSU, Notre Dame, LSU would be, you know, Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback who could be in play at 11. Notre Dame, where, of course, Kyle Hamilton. Pittsburgh, quarterback Kenny Pickett. Liberty, quarterback Malik Willis. Ohio State, a bunch of guys, but most notably the wide receivers. Cincinnati, we talked about that. Houston, uh, they've got a variety of prospects, including defensive lineman Logan Hall. North Carolina, quarterback Sam Howell. We'll get to him in a minute. And of course, as I said, USC with Drake London. So that's what's going on on the on the the, the thirty visit, the pro day uh, tour, etc. Uh, these things are not necessarily, you know, to, you don't always take these things to the bank, meaning that they're definitively looking at one of these players. But it has to mean something, at least from the perspective of who were they considering, and also at least what positions are they exploring. And lastly, on this note, I reported the other day that Washington had a private workout on site with Nevada quarterback Carson Strong, as well as Nevada tight end Cole Turner. Uh, this is notable for multiple fronts. One, uh, you know, Turner just, you know, look, we know they could use another tight end at this point. He's a day three kind of a pick. So take an eye there. Carson Strong, though, is, of course, the more notable one here. He is, uh, for Dane Brugler, the sixth quarterback in this class, that he's rated his sixth rated quarterback in this class. Uh, Carson Strong, an accurate thrower, completed 70.1% of his passes over each of the last two seasons. He's also got significant knee issues, injuries, uh, have made his mobility basically non-existent. He has, uh, he, he told us at the senior bowl that he's got a cartilage from a cadaver in, in his knee. Um, so he's working through that. He did also speak with Washington at the senior bowl. He told us he's projected by Dane Brugler sort of as a fourth-round guy. And that typically would make more sense for me from a Washington perspective about where they would add another quarterback somewhere on day three, much more so than round one, round two, which I'll get to in a quick second. But keep that in mind. Uh, this was at least Scott Turner was at that meeting. Probably, I believe, Marty Herney as well, because Herney was at the Drake London Pro Day, I was told. So uh, that would make logical sense that you would go from one to the other. But anyway, so keep that in mind. As we talk about the quarterback, which I do want to get to right here, uh, I say briefly, but we'll see how long I go here with a little bit of a of, of, a, of a rant. I've t- hey, uh, a quick timeout. Uh, I did go on a bit of a rant there about this idea that people have that if Washington loves a quarterback at 11, they should draft one, which I explained why to me that doesn't make any sense. Plus, I got into some thoughts about kind of where we are in the Dan Snyder Congress FTC circumstance. But because I did talk for a bit and I want to get to Greg Cosell, I'm going to put that part of the com- part of my thoughts after the Greg Cosell interview. So I'm just coming back and sort of editing it uh, in this way. So here we go. My conversation with uh, Greg Cosell from the NFL Matchup Show. We got into all the interesting topics about this draft, players Washington could get, guys he likes. He has a really interesting thought on who he thinks is the best receiver in this class. Nope, not him, not him, not even him. Somebody else for Greg Cosell at receiver, plus uh, Kyle Hamilton, Devin Lloyd, the quarterbacks, and a bunch more. And then we'll get back to uh, my, conver- my my thoughts on Washington with the quarterback in 11 and Dan Snyder. Cool? All right, here we go. My conversation with Greg Cosell here on the Standard Grimoli Podcast. All right. Joining me here, as promised, he is, of course, the executive producer and analyst for NFL Matchup. He's a returning champion here on this podcast as well. He is the great Greg Cosell. Greg, thanks for the time, as always. How uh, how are things going in uh, NFL film land? 
Well, Ben, it's it's the draft here. So I've been, you know, I, I was thinking to myself the other day that I think I've worked seven days a week since last August. So uh, when the draft hits and and that weekend is over, it'll it'll be uh, it'll be nice, you know. But I've been yeah, I've been going at it pretty good, trying to watch as many players as I can. I think I'm up to about 125, 130 that I've seen in detail. Uh, that's a lot. I know you, I, we saw each other briefly at the combine, so I know you've been on the trail for these guys for, for a bit. And so oh, I, yeah. I appreciate you letting us dip into uh, to your insight. We want to get to some of the players, some of the obvious guys, the receivers and some of the defenders. But when it comes to Washington, obviously we got to talk about their big offseason move, getting Carson Wentz, because part of the draft is how do they help yep. Carson Wentz? So let me just start broadly. You're you watch all the games during the year. What did you make of Washington making this move for Carson Wentz? Yeah, I thought Wentz, for the most part, played pretty well. Um, I think what's important here, Ben, is he's going to go to an offense that's a little bit different than the one he was in and the one he'd been used to pretty much his whole career, because certainly Frank Reich had, he was in Philly with Carson Wentz, and then Wentz uh, obviously went to uh, Indianapolis. Um, So I think the important point is you're going to see some things that are different. And one is the fact that there's probably more deeper drops, more seven-step drops in the Washington offense than there is in the Frank Reich offense, where it's a lot more five-step, ball come out. And I've always believed, and, and I don't know if this is true for sure, but I've always believed that Carson Wentz has a big play mentality. And I think he likes the idea of deeper drops and pushing the ball down the field. Uh, so I, I think it could be a, a pretty good marriage. Um, you know, I think the other factor, too, is is and I'm curious to see how this plays out. Wentz has always been a quarterback that likes to control the game at the line of scrimmage. And one thing about Washington is they don't really ask their quarterback to do that a lot. Obviously, the quarterback always has veto power. So in other words, if he sees something that he, you know, let's say a blitz or or something looks different, the quarterback always has the power to make a change. But but normally in the Scott Turner system, the quarterback is not the one calling out the protections, setting the protections, unless I said there's something that looks different. So I'm very curious to see how this plays out. But the bottom line is that Wentz is still a pretty talented guy. Um, Everybody just remembers that last game against Jacksonville. And obviously he was bad, as was the entire team. Um, And that's what people sort of hang their hat on right now. But for the most part, he had a pretty solid season. Uh, So I'm very curious to see how this works. He's obviously got the talented arm. He can make the throws down the field. I know Ron Rivera has said one reason they're excited about him is that he'll be able to help, you know, Terry McLaurin and others make plays down the field that realistically they just didn't have last year. There is also this notion, or maybe it's valid of, Maybe he's a little too plays a little too much hero ball. He forces too much. His completion yeah. percentage is a bit lower than imagined because he doesn't take the easy dumps to running backs. He tries dump off passes to running backs. He tries to force the action. What do you kind of make to that? Is there something they can do to it? I mean, I think there's some validity to that. Uh, you know, so the question is, can you work with him on that? He's he's a veteran quarterback. Sometimes guys can change. Sometimes they can't. There's no definitive answer to that as we're sitting here talking about it now. But I, I will say there is some validity to that. Uh, you know, you'd like to see a quarterback have a pretty defined understanding of, hey, I'm dropping back. I'm not going to get what I thought I was going to get and then take a check down and move on to the next play. Um the one thing you don't want to see him do because he's not as good at it as he was earlier in his career, just through attrition with his body, is he's not as good as making those at, and making those second reaction plays. So you'd like to see the ball get out of his hands. Now he still can do that on occasion. He had a phenomenal one last year, later in the season. I think it might have been against Arizona. It was a national TV game, as I recall. Um, so he is capable of that, but you really don't want to live on that. Um, okay, so uh, there's always more to get into with Carson Wentz, but maybe we'll touch back uh, before the start of the season. But what we're here now is to talk about the draft, and part of what is going to be interesting is what does Washington do to help Carson Wentz's adjustment? One thing they could do is draft another draft a receiver. Wow. They've got at eleven, they should have some options. Um, I won't I won't taint the jury by naming anybody, but for you, who do you kind of like at the top of this receiver class? Because it's possible Washington will have their pick 
of if not the entire litter, but most of that group? Um, well, you know, I'm not good at making lists, Ben, as you know, but if I had to pick my number one receiver in this draft, that would be George Pickens out of Georgia. Um, I think of, of the receivers in this class that he is the best, really? uh, the best prospect. Yes. So he would be number one on my, on my list. If I, if I had to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting. Cause that's not a name we typically hear in conjunction with the top of the receiver room. And he's not even somebody who often gets mentioned in the first round, but he is a very talented receiver out of Georgia. What stands out to you uh, about him? Well, I think that as far as his his traits, I think he pretty much has it all. And I think he's, you know, in the NFL now, so many teams line up in 11 personnel with three wide receivers. So when you do that, there's there's basically two formational looks from that. There's a two by two set and a three by one set. So in a three by one set, you have a wide receiver who's the single receiver to the short side of the field. We call him the boundary X. And I think Pickens fits the profile of an NFL boundary X. He's explosive off the ball into his route stem. He eats up space in a hurry with his stride length and build up speed. He is 6'3". Um, uh, he ran by SEC corners. He's got really good ball skills. He made tough contested catches, both back shoulder and over the top. He's got a wide catching radius. He's got good hands. Um, I thought that based on his tape, and I went back and looked at his 2019 tape, which was his first year in the SEC. He played really well. I looked at 2020, and then he, he played only three games this year or four games, but he did not have to come back, and he did, because he knew he was going to come out into the draft. So I think George Pickens, to me, if I'm just looking at tape, and I know there are other factors involved, but if I was just looking at tape, George Pickens would be at the top of my list. Okay. Well, off off the bat, that's very interesting. Kind of surprised uh, you there. I, I surprised you there, Ben, didn't I? <laughs> you you did. You did. Yeah. He's, a, he's a guy when I've been having Washington in mock drafts take a defender in round one that to see can I get George Pickens to Washington in the second. I hadn't really considered him in, in the first, but at the same point, he's considered to be a very talented uh receiver for, for sure. Um, as we are talking. USC is holding their pro day, which or yep. right around this time, which means Drake London will be in front of scouts for the first time since he's uh, injured his ankle during the year. He's obviously a really interesting guy, six foot four, got that NBA power forward size. I guess that's not really power forward size in the NBA, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> so, what do you make of 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 him? Is a really interesting type of uh, receiver. Yeah, he's. Um... He, he sort of made his living this past year in, in 2021 before he got hurt, making contested catches, going up and getting the ball with great body control, great hands. He can play above the rim. He knows how to use his body to create enough space to make catches. Um, he's not really sudden or explosive. There's no twitch to him. Um, he's a little tight at the way he runs. Um, I saw him much more as kind of a big slot. I, he, when I finished watching Drake London, and by the way, I watched him last summer from all his 2020 targets, in addition to watching him this year, um, he struck me as kind of a Marcus Colston type receiver, if you remember Marcus Colston, sure. kind of a big slot. Um, I didn't see him as a boundary X. I know many people have made the comparisons to Mike Evans and Mike Williams. I did not see that based on tape study. Um I don't think there's a lot of separation quickness to him, um, although that's different certainly for big, long receivers than it is for shorter receivers. They probably don't have to separate quite as much, uh, but there's no I, I didn't come away feeling like he had a lot of juice to him. I thought, you know, he made his living in the in the Pac-12 making contested catches. And I, I don't know if that can be kind of the foundation of, of what you are in the NFL. Okay. Uh, there's two receivers up in Columbus that are getting a lot of attention. A lot of people, big boards have Garrett Wilson, the number one receiver overall, his yeah. teammate, Chris Olave, not too far behind. It's, it's not necessarily comparing one to the other, but what do you make of those two guys? I like Wilson a lot. Um, Wilson kind of reminds me of Stefan Diggs. I think Wilson can line up inside. He can line up outside. He gives you that flexibility. Um, while he's not a true burner, he is a three-level dimension. He can get vertical. Um, I think that he's a very easy, fluid mover. He's got some quickness and suddenness to him. He's a tough match one-on-one. -on -one. Um, 
I, I like Garrett Wilson quite a bit. I think he's a really, really good prospect. And uh, he's more of the he, he he's he's fluid. Seems like he can play kind of all over the he field. Can. He makes yards after the catch. Um, his teammate Chris Olave also fast, also very talented. Not so much with the yak, and maybe is a little more limited with where you line him up on the field. Is from my sense. But what do you what do you think of uh, of Chris Olave? <clears throat> I would I would agree with you based on tape. I think he's an outside receiver. I think he's smooth. He's fluid. Um, he needs space. Um, he he makes every route look the same off the ball, which is a really good trait to have. Um, I think the concerns with Alave are that he there's no physical dimension to his game at all. There's no really run after catch element to his game. Uh, to me, there are questions about his ability to make tough catches in the middle of the field. Um, I don't think he's a catch through contact guy. Um, so to me, Chris Olave is a compliment. Chris Olave to me is not your alpha dog. Chris Olave needs to play with an alpha dog. He's not your number one guy. He's a compliment. Um, and I think the tape tells you that. So I'm very curious to see where he gets drafted. Um, but that's the way I saw him based on his tape study. Okay. And then last one, uh, Jameson Williams may have been the number one receiver in a lot of people's minds if he does not suffer the ACL injury in the uh, college football playoffs. He's still projected in the first round, but I guess we may not know exactly, or at least teams may not may know. We don't necessarily know when he'll be able to get back out on the field. What's your view of Jameson Williams, and how do you how would you sort of handle this guy coming off this injury that happened not that long ago? He'll be fine. Guys come back from ACLs now without an issue. It's just a matter of when he'll be ready. Um, but there are not many receivers with his flat-out vertical speed. He's an impact receiver. He's a game-changer. Um, you know, all you hear about it with teams now is they want explosive plays in the pass game. Williams gives you that. He's a more explosive receiver than Olave. Um, and I think because they they coach receivers really well at Alabama, um, and again, I don't know what they do at Ohio State. Uh, maybe they do the same. But when you when I watch Alabama receivers, I can clearly see that these guys know how to run routes. So Williams is a really, really good prospect, and he's a game changer. And I think that's what teams are looking for. So uh, we're not going into mock draft mode, but as an evaluator, you know Washington's offense with Scott Turner. You know Carson Wentz is the quarterback. You know Terry McLaurin is their top receiver. Which of these receivers do you think when sort of looking at it in total kind of makes the most sense for Washington just as a fit? Forget whether it's 11th pick or not, but just as right, a, right. the best fit for, for what they do. Um, I think, well, I think Jamison Williams is, is always a fit because of his vertical ability. I think Garrett Wilson is always a fit for any team because he's multidimensional. Um, I would say that, that, George Pickens would be a very good fit for this team. Uh, you know, if they're, I don't know what they'll do at 11. They, my guess is they probably like to trade out of 11 and get more picks now that they, they have a quarterback. Um, but who knows? Um, so, yeah, so those three guys would stand out to me. Okay. Um, l- let me let me switch over to the other side of the ball, just for equal time, as it were. Uh, there's been some rumblings here lately that Kyle Hamilton is a guy who people really like the player. But when you factor in things like positional value, he maybe didn't run the fastest 40 time that he could actually be available for Washington at 11. When you look at the tape, this guy's got a bunch of instincts. He's big. He's athletic. There's a lot to like. Yep. But what what's your view of uh, Kyle Hamilton? I like Kyle Hamilton. And, and, you know, to me, the positional value thing doesn't fly anymore because safeties are really important in today's NFL. And, you know, I think, if you talk to defensive coordinators, they'll tell you that there's things they can't do if they don't have um, safety. So, you know, to me, Kyle Hamilton is, is a really good prospect. I mean, he's a long athletic kind of gliding multidimensional multi-positional safety is he plays with quick eyes. He sees things. The only thing you probably say he couldn't do at a higher level is play backwards is move backwards, but he's got great play speed and range. He's athletic. Um, there's nothing wrong with Kyle Hamilton. I mean, he's over six, four. I think he's a really good prospect. So Washington used a lot of three safeties last year. Uh, they moved on from Landon Collins, who they had moved into this sort of hybrid, uh, big nickel role. 
where do you, what is Kyle Hamilton on the NFL level if you had to put him in a position, or is that the point of Kyle Hamilton? He defies position, but if so, how would how would you think Washington could could use a guy like that? Well, I think he can do a lot of things as a safety. So it, it, ultimately, he's a safety, and you can use him on the back end. You can use him in the box. You know, there's many ways to use safeties. Ideally, um, with his size and length, can you match him up to tight ends? Because tight ends now are better and better in the NFL, and you need to match tight ends in your man coverage concepts. So, um, you know, I think uh, I, I think he kind of fits pretty much in any scheme. We'll see what they decide to do in terms of personnel this year. I mean, as, as last year finished out, they were playing Bobby McCain at, at free safety, Cameron Curl, who I really like, by the way. He, he was basically the strong safety. I don't know what their plans are for this year, um, but you know we'll see. But ha- Kyle Hamilton is a very good prospect. You mentioned the positional value aspect. Maybe it doesn't mean as much. Typically, we say ed- on defense, at least edge rusher is the most important position. And, and then co- cornerback is probably number two. Well, if that's true, what would you say is number three at this point? I know it's all relative to the scheme and who you have, but like, like the way modern teams play nowadays, where would you, <clears throat> well, what do you think is, what do you think the next order is? It, it, that's a hard question to answer, Ben, because if you talk to defensive coordinators, what they're trying to do is they're trying to really have multiple playbook options. Okay. Because if you're a defense and you can only do certain things because you're lacking certain kinds of players, then you become more predictable on defense. So it's not a matter of what position is more important. You know, it's a matter of what you can do with your playbook and, and how many options you have. So if you, for instance, you can say, Pass rush and corner, really important. And they are. In a passing league, of course they are. But if you don't have good safeties, your playbook shrinks. That's the issue. So it, it's it's not just a matter of saying some uh, one position is more important than another. It's a matter of how that practically plays out when you're on the field on Sunday. You know, th- the smaller your playbook is, if you don't have specific kinds of players, the easier you are to play against. Gotcha. No, and it makes total sense. Part of the why I was asking is if you look at Washington's defense, I can make the argument that we basically know 10 of the starters. The question is, what do you do with the 11th spot, which is the, which is the, like the fifth defensive back, but in a base, it's maybe right. the third linebacker. And you have like, again, we're not mocking drafting here, but guys at the top of this draft include Kyle Hamilton. There's a Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU. There's Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah. These are all three very different positions. All could be there and maybe could make sense for Washington. And that's why I was just kind of wondering if there was maybe for you a a value that made more sense right now. I mean, so there's a couple of questions here. Um, What William Jackson, they signed to a big deal last year. He's not going anywhere. Right. You'd have to know, and maybe you know the answer to this because you're closer to the team than I am. What is their feeling about Benjamin St. Juice? Do they feel he can line up as an outside corner opposite Jackson and be a quality starter? He's a long athletic corner at 6'3". He's going into his second season. He was a third-round pick. So they may feel very good with William Jackson and St. Juiced on the outside. Um, Fuller is still there, right, Kendall Fuller? Yes. He's a solid slot. So they may feel they're okay at corner. Um, You know, I don't know that for sure, but they may feel they're okay at the corner position. Uh, you know, safety, that's a great question. You know, my guess is they'd probably like to get better overall at safety. I, I like curl, um, but, uh, you know, that might be a more important position to them right now than corner, even though you obviously never have enough corners. Um, just to, just to, to touch on Derek Stingley for a quick second, because it does feel like he'll be a player in their range. Yeah. Um, you mentioned William Jackson. Part of the concern they had last year was, or the struggles, he was a guy that played primarily man with the Bengals, came over to a primarily zone defense, and it took a long time to really yeah. kind of get going. It feels like Stingley, maybe a little bit of that boat, played more man in college. Can you, when you watch the tape, do you see a guy that can play multiple systems, or is he better suited for one or the other? Um, I think he can. I think he's more comfortable and better in, in press man. Um, but uh, 
you know, we'll see, but I think he can play both. He's obviously got high level traits. I know he ran extremely well at his pro day. So people now probably have a better feel for him because he obviously couldn't do anything at the combine. I think he ran a four, three, seven, something along those lines. Um, but you can see on tape and I went back and watched his first year, 2019, you can see watching him. He's got everything you look for in a, um, in an outside corner. So again, then you get down to what a team's draft board looks like. If they have Stingley rated, you know, as their fourth best player, and all of a sudden they get to pick 11 and he's sitting there, then, you know, they might say, you know what, he's our fourth best player on the board. We got to take, we got to take Derek Stingley. So you just don't know the answer to those questions. Right, right, right. For sure. Um, l- let me round out these guys with uh, Devin Lloyd. He seems to be typically rated the highest running back uh in the draft class some people like nicobe dean from georgia as well uh our guy dane brugler has Dev, uh, devin lloyd like i think like his ninth or tenth uh top prospect overall a lot of the stats really were impressive last year but he plays a position also where some people don't like drafting super high what do you make of devin lloyd the prospect i like devin lloyd i think that he can do a lot of things i think he's multi-dimensional um i think that in many ways, uh, and I don't think he's quite at this level, certainly not yet, but I think in many ways he can become one of those quality three down linebackers in the way that a Darius Leonard is, a Demario Davis, a Fred Warner, a Bobby Wagner. Um, I don't think he's there yet, but I think he has the traits to become that over time. Um, does that position... Is that a position that you think is, and would this player in particular, worthy of being picked top 10, top 15? Again, I know it's all relative to what else is there, but just what he shows you on tape, his upside combined with what he position he plays, is that a guy you think is worthy of being kind of picked in that, in that range? Or is that a little bit later or a little bit? Well, early? if you think that he's that guy, then he is. Um, I'm sure many people would totally disagree with me, Ben, and I'm fine with that, but I struggle with the whole concept of positional value because positional value is a great thing to discuss until you play the games, <laughs> right. you know, and, and then positional value doesn't really have a whole lot of meaning. You know, it's like people who say, well, don't draft running backs. And I get that. And that's fine. There's probably a lot of running backs that can gain a thousand yards if you give them 250 carries, but you know, at some point in every game, you do have to run the ball. So would you rather run the ball with a lesser running back or a better running back? You know, at some point in a game, safety is important in, in your in your playbook. Would you rather have better safeties or lesser safeties? So, you know, that linebackers become a more important position in this league because of the way offenses play, and you need athletic linebackers now. Um, so, you know, I think all these are, are – great conversations for you and I to have and for a lot of people to have right now leading up to the draft until coaches get into games and then they can't do things on defense because they don't have the players. Totally agree. And by the way, you I appreciate the way you, you talked about the positional value because like, like for to use Washington as an example, people always say, you know, don't draft an interior offensive lineman in the first round. That's crazy. And then I would say, okay, cool. But they drafted Brandon Scherf. He's a five-time pro bowler. Seems like that kind of worked out. It's the 30,000 foot view. But when you talk about an actual moment in time, you have to look at the specifics. Yeah. And then, and then what do the same people say when you get into a game week five and all of a sudden you're in the third or fourth quarter and you got to throw the ball and you can't pass protect, you know, so all that stuff's great to talk about right now. And everybody tries to sound really smart with all the analytics and all the numbers until you play the games. Right, right, ex- exactly. Yeah, and and so just to then to sort of tie up these guys, we just we talked about these receivers. We just talked about Kyle Hamilton and Stingley and and Lloyd. For you, again, you again, you can think about Washington, but just for you, you just you watch the tape. Any one of these guys is for you. You just like wow, that's the guy for me that I just particularly like of the group that we just sort of talked about. I mean, I think at his best, and because he hasn't played a lot. I think Derek Stingley is really a really good prospect. Um, He's got great ball production. He was a former wide receiver. Um, I think 
he's, you know, he's an unknown a bit because he's only played 10 games the last two years. And this year he only played three games. And I don't even know how many snaps he played. He might have played, you know, 100 snaps or 150 snaps. So, um, so he's an unknown. But I think at his best, he's a really fascinating prospect and, and a potentially really, really good player. Um, let me dip into some other parts of this draft. Uh, if Washington doesn't go defense in round one or linebacker, I, I think it's conceivable they take one somewhere later. There's a few really interesting guys in round two. One of them is this kid, Troy Anderson, out of Montana State. Yep. I, I think you had a chance to to take a look, look at him. He's obviously Montana State, not exactly on television every week. What, what, uh, what do you see about him that's gotten people to think he could be easily a second-round pick? Well, he blew it up at the combine and that got people excited. Uh, this was his first year being a full-time linebacker for Montana State. And you can see that when you watch him. He doesn't have a great feel in the box for how to play the run. He's not really physical despite his size, 6'3 and a half, 243. He's an athlete playing linebacker right now. He can run sideline to sideline. Um, I think all this will develop over time. Um, there's certainly not many stacked linebackers with his athletic traits profile. And for that reason, he'll be in demand, Ben, but he's going to um, he's probably going to be a nickel to start out because he's not ready to really play the run game. He's despite his size, he's not physical now at all. He just doesn't know how to do this stuff. Um, so uh, but he's got great play speed and he's got great range and he's really good in coverage um, as far as um, playing zone underneath. Um, and, and that's what. Um, you know, I think he is as you start him out in the league, but he's certainly a big athletic guy who can play sideline to sideline. So uh, taking a, another raw linebacker two years in a row may not sound ideal for Washington. There are other linebackers, though, here. I don't know if you had a chance to look at either Chad Muma or Christian Harris or yep. what? what's your uh, how, how do you look at those guys? I really like Chad Muma. Uh, again, he's going to get the small school label because of where he plays. Um, but I think that he's, he was a fun guy to watch because he saw it and he went after it and he tackled. It sounds crazy to say, but you see a lot of guys who just don't tackle and he tackled when he got there, he got there with velocity, with force, and he tackled. And I think a movement to me is, um, a really interesting prospect. He's got really good size. He's six, three, he's two thirty nine. Um, you know, I, I think that, he played fast on tape. I, I don't know if he's explosive in that way, but he played fast. He's a little high cut, and some people might view his change of direction and his balance and body control not being exactly what you want all the time. But um, he's he's a player I really did like on tape. Part of the conversation with Washington this offseason is that they started the offseason saying they were going to probably look to add a Mike linebacker. That right. Then at the owners meeting, Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew said, well, actually, we think Cole Holcomb could actually do this for us. And whether that's true or subterfuge is a question. I'm sort of springing this on you, but like I'm asking about linebackers because I'm trying to figure out, do they need to get one? And if so, what do they need? Can Cole Holcomb really play the mic or do they actually need that? And he goes outside. Do you have any thoughts on that? I am sort of springing that on you. So apologies if no, I mean. Well, look, they're obviously going to count on Jamin Davis to approve from his rookie season. He was a first-round pick. He's long. He's athletic. He moves well. Um, he didn't see things real well as a rookie. They're going to count on him to improve. You know, Cole Holcomb is one of those guys <clears throat> that, to me, I mean, he's he's around the ball an awful lot. He makes a lot of tackles. Um, I, I don't know how they feel about him. I think, you know, to me, as an outsider watching tape, I think he's a pretty solid player. You know, maybe they want to get more athletic, purely purely athletic. He's not a bad athlete, but he's not an explosive athlete. They may feel they want a bigger athlete. You know, they may feel they want someone like Quay Walker out of uh, Georgia, who's 6'4", 240. They may feel they want that kind of player. You know, Holcomb is not that guy. So it comes down to what you would ultimately like from a traits standpoint at that position. Um, okay. Um, I think by law, before I let you leave, I have to ask you about the quarterbacks, even though I don't think Washington's in the game anymore at 11, but they won't take one at 11. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for, for the sake of the broad audience, people are interested in quarterbacks and, you know, it's possible round two that there were around four, they could get involved. 
what, what who, who do you like in this quarterback class? Obviously, Kenny Pickett, Malik Wills, Desmond Ritter, et cetera. Who for you? I, I bring up, say, quarterbacks. Who's the one that comes to mind? Well, Pickett would be my guy if, if you know, you were taking a quarterback. <clears throat> I think he's the most complete, the most refined. Um, I think he'd be ready to play right away. Uh, he ran an offense in, in, at Pitt with pro-style um, uh, pro concepts because he had Mark Whipple as the coach, and Whipple was um, – you know, he'd been in the NFL. So you saw the kinds of concepts that NFL teams run. He had to execute those. Um, I think from everybody I spoke to at the combine, the one of the first things they tell me is he is wired right, that he he gets it. He knows how to play. He could step in and play. Now, I don't think anybody thinks he's going to be a top three quarterback in the league, but I think that he's a guy you can line up and start with very early in his career. So the question is, of course, where do these guys go? Again, not going to ask you to be the mock draft guy, but but when you look at these guys, sounds like you like Pickett. Doesn't I don't know if though if you think he's worthy of being picked in the first or if anybody else is. Do you see guys that just as you grade them in your own head that you think are first round, uh, first round picks in this in this uh, group? Uh, th- those are always tough questions for me, Ben, because ultimately quarterbacks are dealt with differently than everybody else. Right. It's almost like there's two drafts, a quarterback draft and, and everybody else draft. Um, teams that need quarterbacks usually take quarterbacks um, because, again, I, I'm not going to speak for Matt Rule in Carolina, but my guess is he's probably – under the gun to some degree based on what the owner has stated. So he doesn't want to start the year one and five or one and six. So the question is, does Matt rule go into the season and say, Hey, I'm totally cool with Sam Darnold. You know, he may not go into the season believing that. So he may take a quarterback at six. You just don't know. So it's really hard to say whether a guy should or shouldn't be taken in the first round. Um, But I think they all have some things that need to be worked on and cleaned up as pretty much everybody does because no one comes into the NFL as a finished product. But I think these quarterbacks have more of that maybe than in other years with, with quarterbacks. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, you ultimately have to look at quarterback traits and what you think makes for a successful quarterback in the NFL, you know, saying a guy has a, can throw it really hard. That's nice, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a good quarterback. <laughs> right. Um, Malik Willis is typically the other guy that's mentioned at the top of the draft class coming out of Liberty. What did you see out of him or what do you think about him? Yeah. And he's another guy that, I mean, he's, he, he's got a great arm. I mean, he's got really a, a power arm um, and he's got great athleticism and movement ability. Um, so I think if you start with those traits, you're probably going to think that, Hey, Malik Willis is a guy that could be a great, great player. Um and, and, you know, he did show some positive things. I mean, he made – you watch his tape, you saw some outstanding throws at the intermediate and vertical levels because he's got a live arm and a power arm. So he's got that, um, and that's a good place to start, obviously. Um, he ran an offense that didn't ask him to do an awful lot. Um, it, was, it was pretty basic. It wasn't that detailed. So then you have to decide, okay, if you draft him and you want to play him right away – what do you run? What are you going to run offensively? And will how long will it take for him to be really comfortable with a lot of NFL concepts that he may not be familiar with? Um, I need to let you go. Last question, though, if I could. Carson Strong, have you watched his tape? I don't know if we've gotten that if you've gotten that far or not. Oh yeah, I've watched Carson Strong. Okay, so Washington, I was. I watched I was 130. Told... Ben, I watch about 130 guys. So yeah. Well, I figured you start probably maybe started a quarterback, so he's no, probably I'm a, a guy. I'm a one man scouting service, but I watched about 130 guys. Well, so I, I was told that Washington held a private workout for Carson yeah. Strong, which doesn't necessarily yeah. mean anything. But I'm thinking more of a day three quarterback for them if they do draft one. So he's really accurate, but he's got some uh, physical issues. What what did you kind of notice from him? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, I know he wore a brace all year. I don't think even without a brace, he's going to be a movement player. I think he's a pocket quarterback. So if you're a pocket quarterback in the NFL, there's a lot of things you have to master to play at a high level. Number one, you've got to win before the snap of the ball. That takes time to learn all the things that are involved with winning before the snap of the ball. You have got to be able to work out of contested pockets because you're not going to be leaving the pocket because that's not who you are. So 
you're going to have to be able to, to play well and function effectively when there are bodies around you. And that's a question with him. So I think he throws it well. I don't think he throws it to me based on my tape study. I don't think he throws it as well as some think. Like, I wouldn't call him an elite thrower. I think he's a good thrower. Fair enough. Well, I, I say you're an elite uh, guest and analyst. And Greg, I always appreciate the time at Greg Cosell on Twitter, the NFL matchup show on ESPN with Matt Bowen, uh, who, of course, we know from these parts as well. Yep. And uh, enjoy the rest of this uh, draft process. You know, you still got time to get the rest of the uh, homework done. Uh, yeah, it's getting there, though. It's getting there. I, you know, I'll, I'll be grinding all weekend, Ben. I appreciate it. Well, Greg, thanks so much. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Talked about this a bit on the on the radio over the last couple of days. Kevin Sheen and I got into this on his show on Friday. And that is this notion that Washington could still take a quarterback at 11. Not so much that people think they will, having made the Carson Wentz trade, but that they could. Specifically, they could if they love a guy. That it's such an important position. You love a guy, you take the guy. And Ron, Ron Rivera did say to us that part of the reason why they made the Wentz trade was you know, they weren't sure what was going to be there for them at 11 when you have Carolina um, at six in need of a quarterback. You have Atlanta. Well, at that point, Atlanta had not yet made the Matt Ryan trade, but whatever they have now. Uh, and then, of course, Russell Wilson at nine with Seattle. They had made that trade. So you knew at least a couple teams could go quarterback. And Atlanta could have, even if they kept Matt Ryan, could have looked to add somebody for the future. So p- hypothetically, a few teams there. And there's also Detroit at two, uh, you could say. However, I, I, I there's a big difference between saying they could and they should even if they love a guy. But I completely reject this notion. Because if you thought, if you love a guy, then you loved him at the time you made the Carson Wentz trade. And then you're right. You may not know if I'm making this up, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter would definitely be there even though most projections have certainly back then, but certainly even now I would say it's very a dicey best that even one quarterback is getting picked in the top 10. There's been definitely more note, more push in that direction. And I'm not betting against it. I'm just saying it's not necessarily a lock. It's not like last year's draft where you knew multiple quarterbacks were going to go in the top five and p- perhaps, you know, upwards of you know five in the top 10 to 15, which is obviously what happened. The, the the issue here is that if you knew that was the case, that you absolutely love the guy, you didn't fall in love with him in the last month. I highly doubt that. Highly doubt that. They've been studying these guys for a long time. Even with the coaching staff being focused on their day jobs, they're not just I, – I really don't believe they just fell in love in between the point that they decided to make the Carson Wentz trade, which they really began exploring in earnest during the Combine. Uh, so, you know, we're talking just over a month ago was the combine, right? They, you know, when they made the trade in March, there's no way that you just fell in love with this guy, which means that if you determine that you love somebody that much, that you would take him at 11, then you should not have made the Wentz trade and should have just kept your assets to then trade up for that player. Bottom line, because you've already invested here in Carson Wentz, a guy who is a talented player, but there are some question marks. We don't need to go through the whole list again. But this is going to be a bit of a process to help rehabilitate this guy after two other teams have said we're out. Reminder, Ron Rivera told me flat out, you may have questions I don't when it comes to Carson Wentz. Now, whether he's just talking, you know, he's acting tough or he actually believes it, well, I can't say for sure. But that's what he said. And they made the move, a pretty aggressive move to take on the full salary as well as giving up uh, multiple day two picks plus a, a, a small swap in the second round this year. To get this guy, who's going to cost you $28.3 million on the cap this year. And, you know, if, if you do keep him beyond this year, no guaranteed money, but he would be on the books for, you know, upwards of 26 or $27 million a year uh, on, on the current deal. You're not making that move to then, f- while still fall in love with somebody else. If you were in love with somebody else to justify taking this guy, then you should have just not tri- made the Wentz trade, gone down the Mitch Trubisky type route, or just patiently waited, right? I, everybody would keep saying, Oh, they should have waited for Matt Ryan or even like Baker Mayfield now, you know. No, I don't buy I don't buy that. 
because you don't know for sure what's going to happen. And they were running out of options if they wanted a, a true upgrade at the most important position. And Carson Wentz was there. And, you know, again, we could debate what they should have given the Colts instead. But the point is they gave themselves, they got themselves a better quarterback. No offense to Taylor Heineke, but you can do more with Carson Wentz than you can with Taylor Heineke. But if you were convinced that there was somebody in this draft that you love that much, then wait. You have Taylor Heineke as a, as a, as a something of a fallback. Right, And you had to know that with Deshaun Watson out there, there could be likelihood of some ripple effect. We didn't know necessarily where Deshaun Watson would land, but depending on where he would land, it could you know unmoor some quarterbacks from their positions, which of course did happen. And I'm not saying that in hindsight. I'm saying that as a fact of reality. We knew Deshaun Watson would move. Now, there were scenarios where he goes to a team where nothing changes. Right? I mean, that was conceivable, but at the same time, you know, even if let's just say he went to New Orleans, hypothetically, well, then Jamison Winston is available, right? He could have gone down that route. If he had gone to Atlanta, then Matt Ryan would become available. Matt, just even the talk of it opened up Matt Ryan. Obviously, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, and whether Washington knew that was going to be a thing, we at least knew for sure that Baker Mayfield may not be back because that relationship seemed fraught uh, at a minimum. Carolina would have been the one where if if Watson had gone there, there wouldn't really be another option. Even if they trade Sam Darnold, it's not like that. anybody's going to go crazy for that. But again, if you love a guy in the draft that much that you're going to be willing to draft him there at 11, then so what? You roll that dice because that's what matters the most, right? Getting the getting it right at this position. And, and I'm all in for taking multiple shots. Don't get me wrong. That's why we talked a lot about signing Trubisky, seeing if, if maybe he turns into your Ryan Tannehill, while simultaneously drafting a quarterback at 11. Totally reasonable approach. The investment, so, you know, the investment's not that insane. Uh, what did Trubisky get? Like, like seven and a half million a year, give or take, from Pittsburgh, depending on incentives? Then just offer him 10 and call it a day, right? My my my, my sense is that, and, you know, again, there's, tw- there's 12 sides to all these stories, but my sense is that the... the the Trubisky potential for coming here was still in play that he would have been open to it more so than perhaps even I was talking about uh, a few weeks ago, as we were discussing what did Washington think when Wentz was, when they made the Wentz move that they think that they were kind of cut out of options. But I do think that Trubisky could have been still in play. Even if he wasn't, there are still other options. Go sign Marcus Mariota then, right? I mean, you could have done other things. You didn't have to do this, which is why I'm saying even if they make the, even if they did draft a quarterback at 11, and even if the quarterback were to work out, if say if Wentz didn't, that doesn't. I'm not going to absolve them of crappy planning. That's not how you build a team. You drafted Wentz. Now make this work. I mean, not drafted Wentz. You traded for Wentz. Make this work. Give him help, whether that's a playmaker on offense or helping the defense. You know, whatever it is. Work on that. You can't. I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to multiple plans concurring simultaneously. But I'm saying not in this case. You just made that investment. Now, the now of course, I'm not saying you shouldn't draft a quarterback. Period. And if you tell me in the second round that the aforementioned Sam Howell, for example, is there, I, I don't have a problem with that per se at 47 because we talked about this weeks ago about the idea that. If the if this quarterback class isn't viewed that favorably and the gap between the first guy and the fifth guy isn't that much, then that's pretty good value, perhaps, to get a, a, a Sam Howell or Matt Corral or whoever would be that player there uh, at that spot, right? Because, th- like, for, forget everything else. That's from a positional value. That's not bad. I, I understand. Well, second-round pick, Ben, it's not, like, much different than the first. I, I agree. But we're just talking straight value here at this point. In a year in which nobody seems to love these quarterbacks, you can't tell me that the quarterback, you're going to take a quarterback at 11, having already made the Carson Wentz deal, which means you're bypassing on potentially a Hamilton or a London or a Devin Lloyd or whomever, that's, that, that doesn't make any logical sense. At least the second round guy, okay, from a value perspective, it may be hard to pass on. When people point to say, well, Green Bay took Aaron Rodgers. That was a value play. He was supposed to be the first or second pick in the draft, and he was sitting there at 24, right? 23, something like that. That That is a completely different scenario than what we're discussing here. Uh, and, you know, and I, 
and Brett Favre was getting not to the end of his career, but like he had been around and, you know, he'd already been started to um, <laughs> give Green Bay some some angst about his constantly debating what his future would be, whatever. So I'm just saying if to, to the idea that if Washington's in love with the quarterback at 11, they should draft him. I, I again, I completely reject that notion based on the fact that then he should have been known this in advance, kept the assets for the Carson Wentz deal, used them to prepare for a trade to move up to wherever they needed to get to get this guy that they're in love with. I just don't buy it otherwise. If they draft a quarterback at 11, okay. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to help Carson Wentz in the moment. And again, to state this for the record here, if Carson Wentz works out, this rookie quarterback is never playing or is not playing for at least the length of Carson Wentz's contract, right? And by the way, forget backups of quarterbacks. You have Taylor Heineke already. We're just talking about the the true future. So you dra- you have Wentz. If he works out, this co- this rookie you're drafting at 11 won't even play for you for three years. That doesn't make any sense. So that would be my basic rant on that one. Just wanted to get that, repeat that for this audience because it came up elsewhere over the last few days, uh, including uh, on the radio and on Kevin Sheehan's show. On the radio, meaning I was hosting shows on 1067 and 980. So that's that. Um Appreciate you listening to the rant. Last thing uh, with regards to Dan Snyder, Congress, the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, Congress sent that letter to the Federal Trade Commission on Tuesday of last week, and we've heard nothing from Dan Snyder's group yet, which is you know interesting. They have been making you know following up statement after statement um, along the way here, but they've been quiet here. I, I wouldn't necessarily take that to mean a sign of them reeling or anything else. I would just take it as it was a 20 page later and there is a legal process and they have lawyers and you can't just statement your way the whole way through. At some point you have to make some comments. So I'm going to imagine we'll hear something here in the near uh, future from the, from this group, uh, from Dan Snyder's group or the, you know, the, 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 the teams, uh, the team, what have you, but probably Dan Snyder's attorney or what have you. We'll see. Uh, Again, we talked about this. I talked about this on the radio the other day. I talked about this on the on Robert Mays's uh, podcast for the Athletic. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a Federal Trade Commission expert. Uh, I'm just a guy that talks football. But just uh, from a logical perspective, I, I still just haven't seen enough here yet for me to say, "Look out, Dan Snyder's in big trouble." There's one, it's basically one witness, a former employee, as we know, Jason Friedman, who worked in the, the ticket department. He was a VP of sales, I believe was the was the title. He'd been there for over two decades in some capacity. He clearly had seen some things. But to what degree he saw, that's the question. And I listened to a really interesting interview with on Kevin Sheehan's podcast the other day. He spoke with uh, a Howard Gutman, a longtime figure in D.C., politics and uh, an ambassador to Belgium and a lawyer and all these things. And he brought up this idea that he himself had bought a plan for tickets to the Kennedy center during the first year of the pandemic. He bought it before the pandemic struck. Obviously all the shows were canceled and that when the next year came around, he just assumed initially that the money he had already put down would go towards the next year. But his, the, the first response was, well, actually, uh, actually, uh, no, we just assumed if you didn't already tell us anything by a certain point that you were, you know, giving us the money as a donation and we appreciate that. Well, you know, he worked it out, he said on his, on his accord and, 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 ha- and straightened that out. But this is not, you know, we've all from a consumer perspective have had, to- had, had trouble sometimes getting some money, you, you know, back that you put up at some places. Um, it's not to say that this is a fair process or, and that it, you know, it, it all feels icky. But that's different than saying, you know, it's completely illegal and Dan Snyder is a horrible person based on this action, right? And I think that's what we need to see is where else does this go? I just don't think we're there yet. And in terms of the NFL part of this, where they're the, the commanders held back money, uh, according to this evidence presented to the over the oversight committee that's thus presented to the Federal Trade Commission, that they held back some money, they 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 rearranged the how some money was 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 processed so it, instead of it being from a tickets uh, uh, tickets for games they were uh, for tickets to say a Kenny Chesney concert I don't believe that the NFL just found out about this if this is to be accurate just now and they're not saying anything so I, I, I 
you know, again, I, I don't know, but it just doesn't seem like we're there yet. If we're going to get there um, at all in terms of Dan Snyder being in real trouble, it's not, no, it's something it is, it, you know, it is notable, but it feels more blippy right now than it does seismic. That could change tomorrow. We know how these things are going. Every day there seems to be a new story, but at the moment, these stories to me seemed more seem more um, interesting than definitive, and I think that's just important to keep in mind. As you know, especially for those out there hoping for some something significant to take place um, in order for Dan Snyder to potentially lose the team. And again, it's all going to come down to the NFL owners. Congress can't kick him out of the club. Uh, and so, you know, do the NFL owners want to open up their their doors for investigations into their culture? Or their finances? I don't think so. And that's part of this calculus here. Are they ever going to make a move on Dan Snyder? Because if they do, they may expose themselves. And that is not something I imagine they want to do. All right. Big thanks to Greg Cosell for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. As always, it's going to be another busy week. We'll have more podcasts to come for sure. A lot of NFL draft talk ahead. Uh, So stay with us here. Make sure you subscribe to uh to this podcast wherever you do your podcasting and of course check out my work over on the athletic uh that is it for now ben standing signing off until next time see ya